We are going to be in John chapter 1. We're actually finishing chapter 1 today and setting up chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, you can, you can do that. Um, as you turn there, I want to just think for a minute. Um, so, so far in the Gospel of John, uh, the Gospel writer has introduced Jesus to us with some, some, some beautiful, um, enormous descriptions of who Jesus is, right? He was in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. Through him, all things were created. And then in verse 14, he tells us that this word, this Jesus who was in the beginning, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have, listen to this, seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so after that, we looked at this other character, John the Baptist, last week, who came to to prepare the way for the Lord and to make this first public announcement that the Messiah was here on the earth. And at Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist declares, this is him. This is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so... Today, what we're going to do is we're going to begin to see what people do uh, once they see this glory, this glory of the one and only son from the father who came to bring us grace and truth. How does everybody else react to Jesus? We know how John the Baptist reacts, but what about everybody else there? And so we're going to begin this journey looking in verse 35 together. As you get ready to hear God's word, I want you to think about um, the things in life that you consider to be beautiful. I want you to think about how when you see something that to you is beautiful, how it moves you. Now, we call a lot of things beautiful, like some of you think you have a beautiful lawn and you have a beautiful wife. I hope you mean two different things, right? What I'm talking about are the big moments, like the big things in life that are beautiful to you. Maybe for you, it's um, a piece of art or it's architecture or it's a fabulous piece of literature or maybe for you, like me, it's the mountains. It's a sunset. It's a canyon. It's, it's going out to the country at night and looking up at the stars and realizing, whoa, there's a galaxy among galaxies out there. I want you to think for a minute about what it is that you consider to be truly beautiful. I mentioned already, for me, it's, it's the outdoors. This is the place where I go to behold beauty and to be moved in a, in a significant way. And so every year I try to to get out somewhere and go backpack and hike. And I've had the privilege of, of hiking in six different states, two different countries. And I was thinking about what I could share from my experiences with you about what I've seen that in some way would give you some insight into what I think is, is beautiful. And of all that I've had the opportunity to see and, and to witness, I thought about the Philippines. Like if you've been to the Philippines, like they have shades of green in the Philippines that don't exist anywhere on the earth. I'm convinced of it. Like there is some spectacular blue water and green stuff that will just take your breath away. I thought about you know, sharing some pictures from Montana, some, some epic scenery in the middle of nowhere. But what I, choose, what I chose to show to you is a picture from a hike from Washington State. I want to show you just a picture of this hike. This is um, north and east of Seattle. Um, it is close to uh, the um, Stevens Pass area, close to Leavenworth, Washington. Uh, this was a hike that I took with my wife and my boys a couple years ago, and uh, it's a four and a half mile hike in. We, we uh, went up an elevation 1,800 feet, and our goal was to make it to a hidden lake nestled right up there against the granite. And so this is about halfway, and the reason I 
decided to show you this particular picture is because this was the first time that I saw in my boys the same love for beautiful things. Like we stopped in this little meadow. Of course, Hallie and I are just taken back, but the boys were just captivated. They'd never seen anything so beautiful. And just to see it kind of stir in them. As a dad, I was proud. Like, yeah, you love what I love. There's just a sample. I wonder what it is that stirs you that way. What is it that is so beautiful? When you see it, it captivates you. It captures you. Because you know when you've seen something beautiful. It stirs your affections, right? You want to capture it, which is why we have so many apps on our phone for capturing things. Did you know that the average American on vacation spends as much time or more time trying to capture the experience above experiencing the experience itself? More time and effort taking the picture, the perfect view, putting the right filter on it, or getting home and posting and editing and getting more time, as much or more time capturing the moment as they do experiencing the experience. Some of you are giggling, right? You got all your, your apps on your phone, you're, you're Snapchatting it, you're zigzagging it, you're yo-yoing it, whatever the latest app is, I don't even know. I can't keep up. Because why? Because when we see something beautiful, we want others to see it too, Right? When something like stirs you in that way, you're like, I wish so-and-so was here and I wanna bring somebody back. And so you try to tell people and you show them pictures and it, pictures just don't do it justice. You gotta be there, you gotta see it with your eyes. So what John is telling us about Jesus is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and in him we saw the glory, but not just any kind of glory, a special kind of glory. Glory is of the one son from the father, full of grace and truth. So now starting in verse 35, we're gonna see what happens when people begin to see this glory. So the next day, this means the day after Jesus' baptism, the public announcement that he's the Messiah, the next day, again, John, John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God, and the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, well, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So here's what's going on. So the day before, John the Baptist had made this announcement. That's him. It's the Messiah. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The very next day, he's walking with two of his disciples, and he sees Jesus again. He makes the same announcement. There he is, the Lamb of God. And, and the Bible tells us that upon hearing this, the two disciples leave John the Baptist and immediately begin to follow Jesus. And then from there, this dialogue ensues where Jesus sees them following him, and he stops to ask a simple question. What are you seeking? And so their answer to him first begins with the word rabbi, which the author wants us to understand simply means, means teacher, okay? So that's less than Messiah. That's less than son of God. Rabbi, where are you staying at? Where do you live? And Jesus hears what they're asking, but more importantly, he understands where their hearts are and where their perspective is. And he answers them with these simple words, come, and you will see. Now, what's really happening though 
is much like you and I, these disciples, they're coming to Jesus with an earthly perspective. They're seeing things through earthly eyes because they're talking to whom? The son of God. But what do they call him? Teacher. That's a respectful title, but it's not enough, is it? Right? So they're looking from an earthly perspective. They know something's stirring within them because they've seen something in Jesus that's causing them to change and they want to follow him, but they don't fully see what it is yet. So they call him teacher. And did you see their question? Hey, where, where are you staying? Now think about that. Of all the questions you could ask Jesus, the son of God, right, that's not the important one, but it reveals something, doesn't it? It reveals where their perspective is. Their perspective is on the ground. And so when Jesus says, come and you will see, he's not saying, hey, I'll show you where I live. What he's saying is, come, follow me, and I'm actually gonna open up your eyes to see everything different. Like the things that you've seen aren't aren't gonna change, they're still gonna be there, you're gonna see them differently. You're gonna see the world with new eyes. And so essentially what he's saying is, come, you who are spiritually blind, who think that I'm just a teacher, Come to me and I will open your eyes to see things from a heavenly perspective. Now we're gonna see later on that Jesus is gonna show him where he lives, his real home. But for now, they're just following him to the house he was staying in and they see it and they stay with him the rest of the day. I was thinking about seeing things from a new perspective and again, just keeping that theme of like backpacking experiences. I wanna tell you a story of something that, that I experienced a couple years ago, I was in um, Montana uh, with one of my, my hiking buddies, and we were, uh, first day in, we'd made it 11 miles in. So we are off the beaten path. That's 11 miles from the nearest road, and that road was really more just like a gravel path, so it was barely a road. And, uh, and so we started mapping out the next few days where we want to go, where we want to try to fish, and what we want to see. Well, there was one particular trail that led up from camp, and it wasn't too long, but it was mainly uphill, that led up to this big granite face that's part of what's known as the Chinese walls, this big famous granite wall that stretches out for like 20 miles through the wilderness. And it begins in the scapegoat wilderness, which is where we were. And I was like, well, I wanna see this. People tell me you gotta go see it. There's something about this granite wall that will just take your breath away. So we go up to the end of the trail and we kind of make it to what's called like a box canyon where you're boxed in with granite all around. And we, we kind of realize we're at the end of the trail. So it's lunchtime, let's pull out our backpack food, let's grab some water out of the stream, let's, let's make lunch and let's just sit here and kind of take it all in. So we're sitting there, there's a log and sitting on the log and we're, we've eaten and we're full, we're just, just taking it all in. Got the binoculars out, we're glassing, you know, there's an eagle flying from canyon wall to canyon wall, we're just watching, we're looking for wildlife and, and just enjoying the, the moment, right? Taking it all in. And then I noticed something that kind of caught my attention on this granite face. I saw what is oftentimes referred to as a game trail, okay? If you don't know what a game trail is, it's a path that animals take in the woods or out in the wild, and they take it so frequently that it leaves a path, and you can tell something walks here frequently. But it was strange because this game trail was up on the side of this granite face where it didn't seem like game should be walking, so we, I'm like, hey, do you see this? Does that look like that to you? He's like, yeah, it looks like a game trail. Like, well, if, if there's a game trail, like this little piece of a game trail, it has to have a beginning and an end. Somehow animals get up there, right? Like, yeah, like, well, let's go figure it out. So here we go. 
And about an hour later of climbing up this rubble and loose shell rock, we made it to the game trail. And sure enough, we were on this trail and there was granite above us and shell rock below us. And, and to our left, we look and this trail just made its way up the granite wall, wall and then it looked like it had a dead end a couple hundred yards up. And so I said, well, it's gotta go somewhere, right? And he's like, yeah, it's going somewhere. It's not like, like deer walk down this trail to the dead end, turn around and walk back. Like there's something up there, so let's go. So we follow this game trail. Sure enough, the mirage of, of granite face turned into more trail that zigzagged all the way up to the top of the mountain. If you've ever been mountain climbing, that's where you want to make it. You want to make it to the top. And this was such a moving experience for both of us, but for me in particular, because when you get to the top and you turn around and you look, you're seeing the things you saw before, but from a different perspective. Right? What seemed like this impassable 200-foot granite face now is passable. You're looking out at the trail you just hiked up, and you're seeing, oh, that's where that creek crosses, and there's the lake, and now you can put things in perspective. See, in a much bigger way, this is what Jesus is saying to the disciples. I can understand from your questions, you're looking at me from the ground level. You're asking me, teacher, you're asking me where I live. Now listen, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to the heights of heaven, and I'm going to show you things that are going to blow your mind. Come and see. Come and have real sight. Look at the world from my perspective. Now, this is a beautiful invitation that Jesus extends to these two followers. Now, immediately, we can tell in these two disciples that they, they truly have seen something they consider to be glorious or beautiful, even though they don't fully know and realize it yet. Why? Because immediately their affections are stirred. How do we know? Because they were previously following John the Baptist, and with one sentence, they heard him declare, that's the Lamb of God, now they're following whom? Jesus, done. Immediately their loyalty has shifted from John the Baptist to Jesus, and they don't even fully know why yet. And we see their affections are stirred. Now, there's something that I like to call the unpredictable grace of Jesus, uh, one of the ways that the gospel writer talks about the grace of Jesus is that we have experienced grace upon grace. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that this is this idea of immeasurable, unending grace. I was talking with somebody this past week about how unpredictable God's grace is. Like when we pray for things and we estimate what God can do, how, far, how often we, we, we fall too short in our estimations where he goes far above what we could have asked for or imagined. Right? So like I'm praying for the salvation of my boys and, and yeah, he saves them, but he does far more than I ever could have asked for or imagined. That's grace upon grace. That's immeasurable, unpredictable grace that you can't estimate. And how many times do we go to God and we pray for things from, from a ground level perspective and we underestimate the goodness of God? We underestimate his power and, and what he could actually do. And I think this is where these guys are. They have no idea what's in store. All they know is, I want to follow him. I want to go where he goes. Show me where you live, because that's where I live now. I'm with you. Now, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, this is one of the 12 disciples. Now, we're beginning to hear names that we are somewhat familiar with. Andrew and Peter. Yeah, we've heard about Peter, right? Peter, the guy who sticks his foot in his mouth, Peter? That's him. So Andrew was one of those two followers of John the Baptist. Now he's following Jesus. 
So verse 41 says, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Now do you see the significant shift already? Earlier they said rabbi, and then the gospel writer says, oh by the way, this just means teacher. And now the same guy is talking to his brother, and his eyes are already opening to see Jesus as the, now he calls him what, the Messiah, and John goes, oh by the way, that's an upgrade. That's, that's, that's the Christ. That means the Christ. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And listen, verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. He goes to Peter, found the Messiah. You gotta come with me. You've gotta come see this. And he brings Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now this is where Jesus not only changes Peter's name, but changes his eternal trajectory and changes his identity. And there is a lot of symbolism in the name that he gave Peter. And we could talk about that for a while, about how right, Jesus is later on gonna say, upon this, your name is Peter, but upon this rock, I'm gonna build my church. But I don't think in this moment, it's fully about that. I think what the gospel writer wants us to see is that upon the word of Jesus, he has the authority to change your identity, right? He didn't ask Peter, hey man, what do you think about the name Cephas? Have you ever thought about going by a different name? I mean, I know everybody calls you Simon, but let's think about this for a minute. I mean, if we change your name to Cephas, which means Peter, then later on, I could use that to talk about the church, and it'd be super cool, and, and these guys are gonna write it down in the Bible, and it'll help the church, and no. He didn't discuss this or collaborate with Peter. With authority, right, the son of God, the sovereign king of the universe, says to Simon, your name is now different. I'm changing your name. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, and immediately God changes his identity. This is absolutely true for our lives as well. Jesus does not collaborate with you to see what you want to go by. He takes sinners like you and me, and he calls us saints. Like that should run over you like a Mack truck. Right? Sinners in the room. In Christ, you're not just a good old boy, you're a saint. We don't worship saints in the church, but the church is full of saints, and the saints worship Jesus. He changes sinners to saints. He changes people who were formerly not referred to as God's people into God's people. He changes People who were formerly rebellious and wayward children into what? My children, my sons, my daughters. He changes fishermen into fishers of men. And for you and me, he takes a group of broken people who once lived in darkness and he turns us into the church and he calls us his bride and he calls us a beacon of light to the world. You don't get to collaborate with Jesus about that. He says, you come to me, you come and see, I'm gonna give you new sight, and I'm gonna change who you are. We see this here in Peter's example. Now moving on in verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. Again, this may be a name you're familiar with, and he said to him, 
follow me. Now, Peter was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So he knew these guys more than likely. And so Philip just encountered Jesus. Jesus said, hey, come follow me. So Philip immediately goes and finds Nathanael. And he found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. We'll stop there and then we'll, we'll see what else he says. So remember, John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God, right? So Andrew comes to Simon, his brother, and says, we found who, the Messiah. And so what is then Philip saying? Well, he's saying, listen, remember this, this one whom the Old Testament promises us? He's here. Like the law, the prophets, all of your Old Testament is making to you a promise. What's the promise? That God is gonna send a Messiah. And not just any Messiah, but his own son is gonna come to be a Messiah, a savior of the world. And so Philip goes to his brother Nathaniel and he's like, hey, remember how growing up in church we read about this one that God was gonna send? Remember in the law and the prophets kept reminding us of this promised one? Yeah, he's here. Now look at what he says next because he's still struggling to grasp this. He says what? Because right? you know Nathaniel's quite, well, who is he? Well, I'll tell you who he is. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now that's his earthly identity. So he's on one, he's like, man, the Messiah's here. Well, who is he? Uh, he's that guy from Nazareth. Remember Joseph's son? You know, we heard about him. So on one hand, right, Jesus the Messiah. On the other hand, Jesus the carpenter, Joseph's son from Nazareth. And then we look at this response from Nathaniel. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what he's saying is, listen, Nazareth is a nobody, nothing town. Nothing good ever comes out of Nazareth. Are you sure that the Messiah is coming from Nazareth? Are you sure that you found the Messiah? Because, man, nothing good ever comes from Nazareth. And I love what Philip said to him. The rest of verse 46, Philip said to him, come and what? See. Now, he's saying more than just come look at him. What is he saying? Come and receive sight. Come and have your eyes open. Come and behold the glory of the Christ. And he could just simply put it, you're just gonna have to come see. Come see what I've seen. Come experience what I've experienced. I've seen something that has changed my life in such a way I want you to come in and see it. So come and see. So verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So Jesus is speaking to Nathanael like he knows him. And, and Nathanael's gonna respond. Look at what he says. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now that is such a powerful statement because what Jesus is saying, long before you see me, I see you. I've seen you since before you were you. I've always seen you. The problem isn't seeing you, the problem is seeing me. How do you know who I am? Oh, Nathaniel, 
I've known you your whole life. And just, I'll just give you an example. When Philip came to you, you were hanging out under a fig tree. Yeah, does that blow your mind? Well, here, here, let me just blow a little further. I've always seen you. The problem isn't seeing you. The problem is you seeing me. And so, verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, now, if he just stopped right there, he's not quite there yet, right? Because remember we talked about before, that just means what? Teacher. But he takes it a step further. He says, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And what we see in that moment is Jesus giving spiritual sight to Nathanael so he could see. Opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the spiritual eyes of the one who could not see, the one who could only see things on the ground level, and he gave him heavenly sight. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And then he says, you will see greater things than these. I'll just give you my interpretation. If that, if that blew you away, Nathaniel, hoo, 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 you're in for it. Because I'm going to show you things a whole lot greater than that. If you're impressed by just the idea that I could see you when you weren't here and you were under the fig tree, you better fasten your seatbelt because I'm gonna show you even greater things than this as I give you sight to see. Verse 51. Now, you remember the original question? Jesus, where do you live? Look at verse 51. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven, heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're not ready yet to know where I live. But follow me, come with me, and I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna open your eyes to see, and you're gonna see where I live, but I'm gonna have to open up heaven for you to see the Son of Man sitting on his throne as the sovereign king of the universe. And you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, we started off talking about the things that we see in life that are beautiful to us, that move us, that we wanna capture and we wanna take others to come see. And we see clearly from this part of John's gospel that that's in fact what's happening for these guys. When they behold the glory of Jesus, not just any kind of glory, the glory that only comes from the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? It stirs them, it changes them, they want to latch hold of it. They're going to follow him wherever he goes, and they can't wait to go tell somebody else. You've got to come see what I just saw. I want to land today with a rhetorical question, meaning I don't want you to just answer it to me. Matter of fact, I don't necessarily need to hear your answer. I want you to think about your answer, though. And I could ask this question a lot of different ways. I could say, who is Jesus to you? What do you think of when you think of Jesus? But I wanna ask it this way. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? I'm not asking if you have a T-shirt that says, I heart Jesus. I'm asking, do you believe Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Son of God? And I'm gonna follow that up with 
a few practical questions to kind of help you break that apart from what we've learned today. Let me ask you this. What is it in your life that truly stirs your affections, like moves you? Is it some, you know, your favorite movie? Maybe your favorite music? Maybe your children? Right? There are things in your life that stir your affections. But what is it that you hold dearest? What is it that moves you the most? What is it that stirs your deepest affections? I would follow that with this question. What is Jesus doing in your life right now? And when most Christians hear that question, what we typically default to is our testimony to the past. Well, this is who I was and this is what Jesus did and who I am today. But that's not actually what I'm asking. I'm asking, what is Jesus doing in your heart today? Like on the ground, in your heart today, what is he working on? You with me? Okay, so just to show of hands, who in the room is perfect? Just real quick, because it's early dismissal today. So if you're, if you're already there, you can go ahead and leave. I need to talk to the rest of the people who are not there yet. Okay, so, so by your admission, you're still sitting, you're not completely transformed, right? You're not perfect yet which means that Jesus is still working on you. And so that's what I mean by that question. Like, what is Jesus doing on the ground in your heart right now? Because he never does nothing. When you behold, when you see Jesus as the Messiah, he changes you every time. So what is he working on? Is he softening pride right now? You got some pride issues getting in the way of like important relationships. So he's softening pride. Maybe he's solidifying your identity. Maybe you struggle to know who you are in Christ and when you look in the mirror, you still see yourself as who you used to be and so maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe he's teaching you what the biblical definition of love is. It's not this emotional feeling on the inside where you feel all giddy, but it's a choice you make to lay your life down for somebody else. So my question is, what is Jesus doing on the ground in your heart today, like right now? The Messiah never does nothing. When you behold his glory, it transforms us every time. And then I would just end with this final question. What is it in your life that you are so excited about you keep inviting people to come and see? Are you that excited about Christ? Maybe, maybe there was a time in your life where you were and you couldn't quit talking about the Messiah about Jesus, your savior, but maybe like a lot of us, you've slipped into like this routine and this complacency and maybe you've lost sight of Jesus. Have you ever been around somebody who just became a Christian and they're so, so obnoxiously excited about Jesus, they wanna tell everybody? Like that's what's happening here. When you see Jesus, you behold his glory, you can't not tell people. You're so excited about what you found, all you want to do is to go to the people who mean something to you and say, you gotta come see this. See what? Jesus. Really? Here? Yes. Explain it to me. I can't. You just gotta come see it. You gotta see it for yourself. Let me just ask you, how excited are you about Jesus in your life? Are you inviting others to come and see? And if not, maybe, maybe you're in a season in your walk with Christ where you have lost sight of his glory. 
You've lost sight of, of seeing him as something truly beautiful and amazing. And so I just wanna leave you with those questions today. As we wrap up today, um, I realize there may be some of you here today who you've never taken a step of faith towards Christ. Maybe you're still kind of in skeptical mode. You're trying to figure out, well, who is this Jesus guy? What makes him so special? Maybe today for the first time, it like clicked. You're like, oh, he's the son of God. Like, that's a big deal. He's not just some religious fanatic or some religious teacher. Like, he's the son of God, the Messiah. Listen, I want you to know that you can have a relationship with him today, like starting right now by taking a step of faith and saying, I believe. You could take the same step of faith that Peter took. I see you, you're him. Nathaniel, Andrew, you behold Jesus. You go, that's the son of God and believe. A lot of times I'll get asked, well, how do I, what do I do then? Like, how do I become a Christian? Well, you, you see it, you believe it, and you confess it. You could stay seated and just like in your own words, just spend some time praying to God, like I see Jesus and I trust in Jesus. We're gonna have prayer partners at the back of the room in the front. You can come grab a prayer partner and say, hey, will you pray with me? I wanna, I wanna take a step of faith towards Jesus today. Listen, you could stay where you're at and just sing the lyrics of this last song and mean it. And it will lead you to the Savior. And so I'm gonna just encourage you, if you've never taken that step of faith, that you do that before you leave here today. Let me pray for us. Our worship team's coming forward. Our prayer partners are gonna move. And then we're gonna respond. Oh, Father, we thank you for revealing the glory of Jesus to us. Thank you for the example in the scriptures of what it looks like when we truly encounter Christ. Father, it stirs our affections, it changes our identity, and we can't keep it to ourselves. So Father, today I'm not asking for more excitement for Jesus, I'm not asking for more commitment to Jesus, what I'm asking for is that you would help us see him. God, help us behold the glory of Jesus as the Son of God. Because when we see him, God, that changes everything. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move through this room, speak to our hearts, and for any person here who has not taken a step of faith to trust in Jesus, that God, today, they would hear that sweet invitation, come and see. Lord Jesus, we pray all this in your precious and powerful name.